Well, again, welcome to Grumlaw. We are so happy that you are here today with us. We really, really do mean that, especially if this is your first time with us, because listen, we totally get it. We know how walking into a new place can feel super intimidating, but, but you did it. Uh, you overcame those fears and you showed up here with us today. And uh, again, we certainly don't take that for granted. So thank you for being here. Uh, as already mentioned, we are in this series right now called Pray. In fact, today we are entering into part four of six. So we have officially crossed the halfway point. Uh, and if you haven't been here for every single week of the series, which probably describes just about every single single one of you because it's the summer and it's hard to do anything consistently. You can always go to grumlaw.com messages and get yourself caught up there. You can listen to the messages there. You can actually even watch the messages there. And as always, you can actually uh, find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcasts. Uh, what we've been doing in this series is we've been taking a look at how Jesus teaches us to pray. Not, not how I would teach you how to pray, uh, not even how Grumlaw would teach you how to pray, but again, what, how Jesus would teach us to pray. In fact, it's, it's one of the great things about this book that we often refer to as the Bible. This is going to sound like an incredibly obvious statement, but a lot of our answers to our faith-based questions can actually be found within those pages, and so I'm going to rabbit trail here for a quick second. But uh, if you don't have a Bible, every single week in the back, we, we have free Bibles. Somebody said at one point, like, nothing in life is free. I don't know who came up with that. That's a dumb line. Like, there's plenty of free things, and those Bibles happen to be one of them. You can also download an app. That might be a great first step for you if you've never actually opened up the pages of the Bible. There's an awesome app called the YouVersion. Uh, there's a number of free Bibles, so we recommend that one. Really, really easy. Uh, it has awesome devotionals in it. It has daily scripture. That might be a great first step for you. Just start reading in the book of Matthew. That's the first book of the New Testament. It's one of the four books that documents Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And again, that app is totally free. They even have it for Android devices, which is crazy. Almost as crazy as that some of you still use Android devices, but that's kind of beside the point. But anyway, uh, one of the great things again about the Bible, uh, and, and you've heard me say this before and I'll continue to say it, even if you never take that step and, and become a Jesus follower, you should still absolutely open the pages of the Bible. You should still absolutely follow the teachings of Jesus, even if you never decide to put your faith in them, because they will undeniably make your life better. Now, what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at a particular occurrence where, where Jesus and his 12 disciples, the 12 guys that he spent like every waking moment with, the guys that you know he invested so much time with when he was here on earth, uh, they kind of sheepishly approach Jesus and they're like, hey, Jesus, will you teach us, this is kind of embarrassing, but will you teach us how to pray? And Jesus is kind of taken aback by that, but he's like, okay, yeah, because they were wondering, like we probably have all wondered at certain points in our lives, they're going, okay, are we doing this right? I mean, how do we know that we're not just like mumbling to ourselves? How do we know that there's actually someone out there who is listening? And so Jesus sits him down. He's like, okay, take out your notepads, take out your pen, write this stuff. I am, write this stuff down. I am going to teach you how to pray. In fact, he says this, he says, pray like this. And this is a great thing for us people, right? Because it's so direct. You don't have to look at this and go, hmm, okay, I wonder what Jesus was talking about here. Nope. He's like, this is how you are supposed to pray. If you pray like this, if you pray using the model that I am about to give you, you'll never have to wonder that again. You'll never have to wonder if you are getting prayer right. Um, what we've also seen, and we talked about this last week, uh, the words that follow this, is it's a very, very common prayer. It's often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but but Jesus' intention, as we discussed last week, his intention was never to give us the exact words. 
His intention was never to give these words so we are ready to repeat these at the priest or the pastor's command, ready to say these things. And it's like, okay, every good Christian must have this prayer memorized. It was never meant to be a religious chant. Again, he said, pray like this because he wanted to give us a model. And so throughout this series, that's what we're doing. We're unpacking that model line by line. And here are the three takeaways that we had from the first three weeks, just in case you weren't here or maybe you were here and you don't remember because you suffer from amnesia. Number one, week one we talked, where you pray matters. Where you pray absolutely matters. It is okay to have those quick prayers that kind of more adequately fit into your schedule. But if that is your entire prayer life, Jesus tells us you're missing it. Get alone, eliminate distractions, and spend quality time with me. In part two, we talked about this idea of before you ask him, adore him. So oftentimes when we go and we pray, uh, it's basically like we're sitting on Jesus' lap. He's Santa Claus, and we get to tell him all of our, you know, our, our list of stuff that we want, the stuff that we need. And Jesus is like, okay, listen, I promise that we will get to that. You'll be able to get through like your prayer Christmas list here in just a second. But before we get there, why don't you take some time to adore me, praise me, thank me. And then last week, we talked about the four hardest words that any human being could possibly pray, which again, I know sounds like a wild exaggeration, but it's absolutely the case. Your will be done. God, not my will, but, but I truthfully want what, whatever you want. And the reason that we would do that is because this is a God that is for us. He is a God that absolutely has our best interest in mind. And one of the things that we talked about last week is, we know this all about ourselves, but sometimes we're reluctant to admit it, you don't always have your best interest in mind. You do things all the time where frequently you look back and you go, what the heck did I do that for? And so God's saying, hey, why, why not give me a shot? How about my will be done? And the reason that we're talking about this and the reason that we would spend six weeks talking about prayer, you know, six weeks in a row, and, and, and this is important. If you're a Jesus follower and, and, and you're not spending quality alone time with God, you're not spending quality time just talking to God, then your relationship with God is absolutely suffering as a result. Your relationship with God will never go to where God wants to take it. It's like you're neutering your relationship with God from day one. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, you're just kind of exploring this whole thing, you don't even know where you stand with this whole Christianity thing, you're not even sure if Jesus was a real guy, we still think it's worth considering how Jesus teaches us to pray. Because chances are, even you, you have some preconceived notions floating around in your head about prayer. Some of those might be right, others of them might be wrong when we compare them with how Jesus teaches teaches us to pray. And if you ever make that decision to put your faith in Jesus, and my goodness, we really, really hope that you do that. The key to actually having true intimacy with God, the, the, the key to actually having what could be called a relationship with God happens to lie in getting prayer right. Back in like 2009, uh, well actually 2005, uh, I took my first summer job out of college. I just completed my freshman year of college. And I took a job working at a summer camp in, in here in Michigan that a lot of you are actually probably familiar with called uh, Spring Hill. Uh, I was going to be a camp counselor for high school kids, and I was like super excited about it, you know, really looking forward to it. And before all the kids arrive on week one, the, all the staff gets there about two weeks early. Uh, and they let us know it was like the third night that we were there for staff training, learning the lay of the land, learning about, okay, everything we needed to know, and there's a lot of stuff to kind of pack in there in two weeks. But the third night, they said, hey, we have this awesome night for you planned. We are going to go out, and we're going to sleep under the stars. And a lot of the granola kids are like, yeah, this is sweet. And they got their Tevas on and Chacos. And I'm sitting there going, this sounds horrible. 
Why would I want to go sleep outside? Now listen, I like nature, but I like having like a business professional relationship with nature. I like going out there for a time, but at the end of the day, I like coming into my mattress. I like the air conditioning. I'm not about sleeping under the stars, mosquitoes buzzing by my ears, like not interested really that much in that. So I didn't have the greatest of attitudes going into this. That, that's, that's safe to say, but I was like, okay, you know, I'm gonna, it's only the third day. I, I can do this. And so we get out there and it was actually really, really great. We had like this whole service underneath the stars. We spent a ton of time just singing and praising God. And then I got to the time of night we're like okay all the girls you go over on that hillside all the guys you go on this hillside and so we're all getting into our sleeping bags and going to sleep and again a lot of these people are outdoorsy people so they like fall asleep right away and I'm sitting there like gosh this is so stinking uncomfortable anybody got a mattress around here it's just terrible and I'm laying here, I can't fall asleep and I'm looking up at the stars and it's just like a crystal clear night like you guys know this right like northern Michigan middle of summer you look up it's insane what's going on in front of your eyes and so it's ironic that in this moment was the the first time that I ever really wrestled with this question but as I'm looking there at all of God's beauty I started going how do I know he's real I mean how do I know that God actually exists. Because up till that point in my life, it had always been something that had been spoon-fed to me. I grew up in a Christian home, always went to church, Sunday school teachers reinforced that, my parents reinforced that. Now I was going to a Christian university, professors are reinforced that. But I had never really wrestled with that question myself. And so here I am, a week and a half away from my whole job is to tell kids about Jesus. And I'm going, how do I know if God is real? This is interesting, right? And so I'm having this internal debate and then this brilliant idea comes into my mind. I said, okay, God, if you're real, I'm 20 years old now. I've never seen, I've never seen a shooting star before. Show me a shooting star. And so I, I'm sitting there arguing with God. You better show me a shooting star or I'm out. Like, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm not listening to you anymore. Show me a shooting star. And like, no sooner did that thought exit my brain and this shooting star, I'm not kidding. It was like huge. I still have never seen one this big. Goes ripping across the sky. And then I'm like, kind of pulled the sleep bag. I'm like, oh my gosh, you might kill me now. Like challenged him. Like strike lightning down or something. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, truly amazing. This was one of the seminal moments of my life. I'm not just saying that. Like it's a moment I look back on and I can truly say that I never doubted like the existence of God again. It was a big, big moment in my life. But as I kind of reflect back on that, as I was preparing for, for, for this week, I also think of how incredibly arrogant that was of me. He, here I am, creation, demanding that the creator better show me a sign. God, you better do what I'm asking you to do. Now, I understand how I got to that point because again, I'd grown up going to church. I'd grown up hearing all these Bible stories. I read these stories, right? Like, like Moses getting to the Red Sea and the, and the sea literally splits in half. I'm like, gosh, that's pretty nuts. I've never seen anything like that before. I read about in 1 Kings, another book that we have in the Old Testament, an Old Testament prophet named Elijah calls fire down from heaven. And God actually does it, like fire comes down from heaven. And so I read all these stories like this, all the stuff that's been fed to me my entire life. And I'm like, well, God's never made it that clear for me. So God, you know what? I want you to show me a sign today like, like you showed these people so many years ago. But then again, again, I think of how incredibly selfish that was. I mean, those people, when we read a lot, a lot, a lot about those stories, and again, in the Old Testament in particular, those were like life and death situations. Like God doesn't come through in those moments. Thousands upon thousands of lives hang in the balance. Not exactly the same could be said as I out there like laying under the stars in the United States, right? Like not the exact same thing can be said as I sit there and argue with God some nights as I'm laying on top of, again, my pillow top mattress. We're not exactly comparing apples to apples. It's not exactly the same situation. So I feel almost guilty sometimes 
Maybe even worried that, that I'm wasting God's time, that it's, that it's selfish of me to ask God for a sign. That, that, that maybe it's even selfish of me to ask for certain things that are good and wholesome, like the health of my children, when I know that there's millions upon millions of children all around the world that don't have very basic human needs being met, water and food and, and basic medical attention, that, that it's really maybe stupid of me to ask for things like, God, on Christmas, I, I wanna make sure that you give us snow. For some reason, that's like really important to me, like that there's snow on Christmas day. I say that prayer like every Christmas. Or, or that sometimes, I mean, the thing that I find myself praying for more than anything these days is just wisdom. But then honestly, I've had this thought, I'm like, but there's people out there that need a whole lot more wisdom. There's way more important people out there th than me. So again, I, I worry that, that I'm wasting God's time. I'm sure some of you have maybe dealt with this as well. We struggle praying for certain things because maybe it feels selfish that it's somehow not maybe the right thing to be praying for. That we sometimes think, okay, certainly God has, has more pressing, you know, things and, and, and matters to attend to than my, you know, little tiny prayers. But, but fortunately, and this is a great thing for us, Jesus, again, gives us a model to pray. And, and here we are today, finally, and some of you are thinking, gosh, it's like about time. We are finally at the part where, where, where Jesus says, yeah, ask God for stuff. In fact, Jesus is really, really clear that he wants us to lay out all of our requests to him. He, he says, Give us today the food we need. He's telling us, he's saying, let me have it. Let me have it. Tell me about that stuff that's on your mind. Tell me that stuff that you want. Tell me that stuff that, that, that you need. Tell me that stuff that is weighing really, really heavy on your heart. Tell me about that stuff that you really, really feel like you need help with. Now, one of the really interesting things about this particular uh, passage of scripture that we're gonna be kind of diving into here this morning uh, is that the, the English words, uh, today, or maybe you're more familiar with the translation of this. If you grew up going to church, give us the today our daily bread. So those English words daily, or in this case today, we get those from a Greek word. Some of you know this, others of you may not know this. The New Testament, the second half of the Bible was largely written in Greek. And the Greek equivalent that we get, again, these words today or daily is this word called epiousios. Everybody say that with me, epiousios. That was weak. One more time. Epiousios. Very good. Okay. I don't know what it is about Greek words, but every Greek word I've ever said Sounds Italian to me. It's like, abusios, give me some meatballs. I don't know what that is. But anyway, now for a long time, this word, and I'm going to draw attention to this and you'll, you'll understand why, was this great point of contention among theologians, among biblical scholars. Christians have this weird knack where we can't dare read a passage of scripture and just take it at its face value. There must always be some deeper meaning there. And I poked fun at that before. Sometimes there absolutely is a deeper meaning, but other times it just means exactly what it seems like it means. But this word was this great point of contention because this was literally, this word that we have here was the only time that we ever saw it in any of Greek literature. In ancient Greek literature, this was the only time we saw this word used, this epiousios word. And not just like in Christian writings and old biblical writings, but period. They literally never saw this word appear at any other place. And so with that in mind, most scholars and, and most theologians kind of came to the conclusion that, that logically speaking, Matthew must have invented this word. He literally must have just made it up which kind of only further fueled this idea that there had to have been some deeper meaning there, that it could not have possibly meant that, that Jesus was literally asking us to ask for bread and ask for very common needs that we encounter in our lives. But then fairly recently, as in about like 50 years ago, as if God was maybe chuckling about these theologians and biblical scholars arguing with each other, uh, we see this word appear for the second time on this tiny little papyrus fragment, this tiny little old piece of paper. And you know what that fragment was? 
Are you ready for this? This mystery that is kind of long divided theologians and long divided biblical scholars. It was a woman's shopping list. It was a grocery list. It was a reminder that while you are at the store, be sure to pick up some epiusios, some eggs, and a gallon of milk. I made that last part up. But seriously, a very, very practical item. Go and pick this up. Make sure when you go to the grocery store, you buy some epiusios. Now, this is significant because it put this whole debate to rest and showed us that Jesus made it a point in his model for how to pray that he wants us to ask him. He's saying, ask me. Come on, let me hear it. Big, small, I want to hear all of it. God wants us to ask him for the things that we need. For a lot of us, that's a big like, sigh of relief, right? Especially if you've been with us for this whole series, because it kind of maybe seemed like Jesus was never gonna get to this part. And how scary would that be? Jesus gives us this model for how to pray, and by the end of the model, we never got the opportunity to ask him for those things that we want and ask him for those things that we need. But Jesus is on top of it. He says, okay, sit tight. After you find your place, after you get alone, after you eliminate distractions, after you spend some time praising me, after you spend some time thanking me, after, and this is big, after you pray the four hardest words that any human being could possibly pray, your will be done, then yeah, go ahead, ask me. Now, this is significance, significant because there is no chance that this is a coincidence. That, that, that there's no chance that, that right before Jesus gets to the part where we get to lay out all of those rest, uh, requests before him that he first asks us to pray, your will be done. See, the purpose of prayer is to surrender our will not to impose it. See, right before we get to lay out our requests, our needs, our desires, all those things that we want from God, we just got done. If we're following Jesus's model, and I think we should follow that model because after all, that's the guy that predicted his own death and predicted his own resurrection and actually happened. So if we're following Jesus's model, we just got done saying, God, okay, I am more committed to your will being done than my will being done. God, I am not here to convince you to bend in my direction. No, in fact, the reason that I'm praying as hard as this is, is because I am committed to bending in your direction. The importance of this, I mean, I can't stress this enough. The importance of the order of this cannot be overstated. It is incredibly, incredibly intentional. Jesus is saying, before you lay out all of those things that you really wanted to get to, and let's be honest, that's why we all start praying, at least initially. You wanted to get something for you. Jesus is saying, hey, before you get to all that stuff, let's just make sure we have an understanding here. Let's make sure that we are on the same page. Prayer is about surrendering our will, not imposing it. Prayer is about God's will be done, not your will be done. So with all of that in the back of your mind, okay, God, your will, not my will, then go ahead and ask me. Come on, let me hear it. My senior year of high school, I was coming around to spring break time and my buddies are urging me, just go ask your dad, just ask him, just ask him, just ask him, just ask him. And I finally go, all right. And so I, I pick the night, I'm gonna ask my dad this big, big question. He's, he's sitting at the dinner table and he's got all these papers out, he's doing some work stuff and I go and kind of casually sit down next to him. I'm like, hey dad, and he's like, what's up son? I say, hey dad, um, you know, me and my buddies were talking and, and they're all going on spring break, uh, you know, to Mexico and can I go? He's like, puts his stuff down. He's like, huh, you go to Mexico? I'm like, yeah, yeah, dad, you know, it'd be, and I make my case for like 10 minutes, you know, explain why this is a good idea. 
you know, tell him, you know, Dad, this is going to be my last hurrah with him. We're all going to go to these separate schools. You know, I really think that this, this would be a really, really good time. You should let me go. And he's like, huh. He's like, Shay, have you been making wise decisions lately? Nope. No, not so much. At the last four years of my life, you have to understand, in high school, I was out of my mind, been caught with drugs, drinking plenty of times. He's like, okay, yeah, okay. Um, He's like, so you don't make the greatest of decisions right here in Bloomfield Hills in Birmingham? I mean, you think you're going to make wise decisions when you're in Cancun, Mexico, where the legal drinking age is a yes or no question? Do you have a pulse? Like, I'm like, yeah. And so he kind of, helps me arrive at maybe a different answer that I wanted to get to. And, and then at the end, he looks at me, he says, so, do you want to ask me again if you want to go to Mexico? I was like, nope, good talk, Dad. See you later. <laughs> See, when we surrender our will, when we bend in God's direction, the what that we ask for changes greatly. And when you know it, your prayers seem to get answered a whole lot more often. See, when I was younger, when I was kind of new to this whole faith thing, just started my relationship with Jesus, I, I mean, all I would pray for was stuff for me. I'd pray for a nicer car. I'd pray for more money. I, I, I'd pray that I wouldn't get into trouble, even though I kept making unwise decisions. I'd pray that I would get a good grade on a test. I'd pray that I'd get a good-looking girlfriend, and then hopefully someday a good-looking wife. He actually kind of delivered on that one. But everything that I prayed for was all for me. If I'm honest, prayer was all about me. Prayer had very, very little to do with God. God was kind of more of this genie in a bottle that I just wanted to be available to do my bidding. And therefore, prayers almost never got answered. Never got a seven series BMW. Never won the lottery. I got into trouble all the time, even though I specifically asked God to not let that happen. But when our focus shifts... And we make prayer much to do about God when we commit to his will, not our own. Then prayers, wouldn't you know it, they seem to actually get answered a bit more. See, God answers prayers for one reason and one reason alone. For his glory. We just so happen oftentimes to be the beneficiaries. You know, ever since my wife and I, we started living our lives like this. We started just saying, okay, God, your will be done not our will. Most notably, he asked us to, to start a church. And it's been absolutely incredible, staggering how many of our prayers have been answered over the last couple of years. I could sit up here for hours all morning and tell you prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer that has been answered. Moments where we're just going, what the heck? He came through again. About six more months before the launch of this church, um, there were a hundred people that, that were committed to praying for Grumlaw every single day. You know, there's this prayer warriors long before this church ever started, and they would pray for this church every single day. And so I would send out these monthly prayer updates, uh, you know, asking people to pray for, the, for these specific things. And one of the things that I put on there uh, several months before our launch was, hey, God, uh, will you pray that, that, that God will maybe just give us a free office space? Because I, I have no money to pay for this. It'd be ridiculous to put this in the budget of a church plant. I mean, yeah, we're totally ready to do the whole Starbucks, Panera Bread, invade their space for the whole day and then leave after buying like one coffee. But I just know how much more productive it would be if we actually had our own office space. I've seen God do this before. So will you pray for this? I click send on that email to those 100 people. And within 20 minutes, my buddy calls me and he says, hey, 
My boss, uh, he owns a bunch of office buildings around Genesee County, and I think he owns one right in Grand Blank, and if I'm not mistaken, there, there has to be empty space there. Do you care if I call him? And I'm like, no, I don't care if you call him. If you want to put yourself out there, I mean, that would be really, really great. I'm like, is he, like, is he a Jesus follower? Is he going to get it? He's like, kind of, I don't really know, but he's a pretty generous guy. He seems like a pretty good guy, and he's a smart business guy. He'd rather write that space off for a tax write-off than just let it sit vacant. I feel like that's it. he'll go for that. So I'll call him and, and, and see what he says. And so, you know, I hang up the phone, and I immediately, I'm like, all right, God, like, how crazy would that be? He calls me back like 15 minutes later, and I think I'm going to pick up the phone, and he's going to have this myriad of questions for me and all this stuff. And I say, hey, what's up, buddy? He's like, uh, he's like hey, I, I just called him. I'm like, okay, yeah, what's up? And he's like, he's in. I go, what? He goes, he's in. I'm like, what does that mean? You're going to have to elaborate a little bit. He's like, he said that you can take this space, and yeah, in grand blank, it, it's open. You can have it for as long as you want it. I'm like, I don't feel like you read the email well. We can pay nothing. We don't want to pay for cleaning. We don't want to pay for internet or utilities. We want it 1,000% free, like no money. He's like, I got it. That's what I told him. He said he's in. Okay. And then I hung up the phone and started crying. <laughs> it's like, what the heck? We sent this out. I don't even know if anybody like read the email by that point, but within 30 minutes, within 30 minutes, God had answered that prayer. But I'm telling you, we didn't start to see those types of miracles, and that's what I believe miracles are, answered prayers. We didn't see those answered prayers until we submitted our will to his will, until it was much to do about God. When we come to grips with this, when we truly mean, God, your will, not my will, it becomes a whole lot harder it becomes a whole lot more uncomfortable. It becomes a whole lot more foolish to pray for things like a nicer car, to, to, to pray for an even bigger house, to pray that God will give us more money so that we can have a vacation home. To, it becomes so foolish to make prayer all about us. So hear me loud and clear. We should absolutely ask away. You should pray boldly. You should rely on God to come through. But remember, before you ask him, Jesus says we should surrender our will to his will. And when we do that, I'm telling you, your requests are going to change. We as a staff right now are reading through uh, a book called The Circle Maker, which I cannot recommend enough. It's a book all about prayer. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, you should absolutely pick this up because it's just an incredible, incredible testament uh, that prayer works. And Mark Batterson, uh, the author of this book, on the third part page, he talks and, and, and kind of a, uh, alludes to this whole idea of praying boldly. He says this, he says, bold prayer honors God. And God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or your boldest prayers. He's offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they are insulting to God. That's a bold statement. Why would he say that? Because they don't require God's divine intervention. You know, I don't think God is all that interested in whether or not you get a hole in one while you're golfing. I cannot tell you how many times I have sat in a tree stand and haven't seen Jack squat, and I have begged, I mean, almost demanded of God that some booner buck might just fall from the sky, walk in front of me 15 yards broadside and see it. I, if I'm honest, I'll probably pray that prayer in a couple months. I don't think he cares. You know, I, I prayed so many times, as a lot of you have, that I wouldn't get a speeding ticket. 
as I willingly and knowingly drive well past the speed limit, I'm not sure those types of prayers fall in line with God's will. I'm not sure that we could categorize those prayers as bold. About 1400 BC, which we're going way back here, several thousands of years ago, uh, we, we have this event that is documented for us in the book of, of Joshua. Uh, it's an Old Testament book. It's, it's a true story here. It's so, so powerful and really illustrates this so well. I want to give you a little background here before we jump into the actual text. Uh, The Israelites have been wandering around in the desert at this point for 40 years. I alluded to the event earlier where Moses miraculously led the Israelites out of the rule of Pharaoh and the Egyptians after they'd been there for a long, long, long time. And against all the odds, I mean, God literally splits a sea of water in half. They're let out and now they are free people. Well, fast forward a little bit. They do a little grumbling. They're a little anti-God for a minute. And so God says, now you're going to wander around in the desert for 40 years. How about that kind of quick retribution? So they're wandering around in the desert for 40 years. He says, hey, you're going to wander for 40 years. But then he's about to deliver on on them a a 400-year-old promise that he actually initially made to a guy by the name of Abraham, another guy that we read about uh, in the Old Testament. And so they've been wandering around for 40 years. They realize, oh man, time's kind of up here. Okay, we're supposed to be delivered into the promised land now. No longer we're in deserts anymore. Now we're going to go to this land that's good for agriculture, good for raising families. And so the Lord tells Joshua, hey, the first city that you are going to overtake is this place by the name of Jericho. You're gonna overtake Jericho. So people are kind of excited about that. They're like, okay, yeah, finally. All right, no more wandering in the desert. Now, as they get closer and closer and closer and closer to Jericho, it becomes more and more and more and more intimidating. It's an incredible city, fortified walls. And they're all standing there. They're up right next to it at this point going, we ain't gonna be able to do this. We are done. If we attack these people, I mean, we are going to be like sheep to be slaughtered. Like, this is not going to be good for us. And if Joshua's will wasn't in line with God's will, he surely would have been praying for a bigger army. He he surely would have been praying for like a supply of HGH for his army. Like, he would have been praying for more more men. He, He would have been praying for a miracle like the other soldiers were just suddenly going to faint. But Joshua had a habit for saying, okay, God, not my will, but your will be done. And so God sits down you know, with Joshua and he lays out his master plan for how they are gonna overtake this city. Joshua's their leader at this point over the, all the Israelites. He says, okay, this, this is how this is gonna go down. Now listen to this. But the Lord said to Joshua, I've given you Jericho, its king and all its strong warriors. Well, that's good news. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Okay, seven priests will walk ahead of the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant is the thing that housed the Ten Commandments that were initially given to Moses, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can, and then the walls of the town, they're just going to collapse, and the people can charge straight into the town. Now, as strong as Joshua's faith was, I imagine he's probably like, (laughs) okay, this sounds great, but God, you're gonna have to toss me a little bit of a bone here. I gotta convince all these people that this is gonna go down this way. Do you realize how absurd this is going to sound to them? Do you know how ridiculous this is gonna sound that our master plan doesn't even involve weapons, it involves horns and recorders? Like, this is not gonna go well. So we're gonna march around the city once a day for six days, and on the seventh day, we're gonna go seven times and then a horn's gonna blow, everybody's gonna shout, the walls are just gonna come out. God, like, 
I believe that could happen, but I have to pitch this idea to thousands and thousands of other people. This is not going to go well. But wouldn't you know it, Joshua buys in. And he goes to the people and matter-of-factly tells them, this is what we are going to do. He is convinced it's actually going to work. And as we'll see, and as we've seen throughout the history, history of, of mankind, the unthinkable, the unthinkable occurs when our obedience collides with God's faithfulness. And so they move forward with God's kind of killer plan here. And on the seventh day, it says this, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. And suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed. And the Israelites charged straight into the town and they captured it. God answers prayers. Miracles happen when we pray bold prayers that line up with his will rather than our own. And so after you find your place and after you praise and thank God and after you pray those four very difficult words, your will be done, God, not my will be done, but your will be done, ask him. Lay it out there for him. I promise you he longs to hear from you. And as you consider that, and as you wrestle with that, I'd like to give you a couple of challenges today uh, as you think about what to ask God for. Number one, what's your Jericho? What's that thing in your life? What is that prayer that you just need to keep circling and circling and circling and circling? What's that prayer that you need to not give up on? That thing that you attack almost with a vengeance. If you keep circling the promise, God will ultimately deliver. Number two, what have you quit praying for? What's that thing in your life that you maybe prayed for for months, possibly even years, and you finally just threw your hands up in the air and you say, God's not listening. This obviously ain't gonna happen. What's that thing that, that, that you have quit praying for, but deep down inside in your bones, you definitely still want to see happen? Too often, I'm convinced of this, we quit praying right before the miracle happens. And then lastly, pray specifically, pray expectantly, and pray persistently. Remember, prayer is about God, not about us. And if your prayers aren't specific, this is important, you're robbing God of the glory that he deserves because we second guess whether or not he actually even answered them. Two, we, we, we pray expecting God to come through because he is a God that is for us. And if you ever doubt that, Remember that he sent his one and his only son specifically for you. He is so absurdly faithful when our will aligns with his. And lastly, we're persistent. I'm confident that most of the time we give up too easily, that we give up too soon. We're on the precipice of a miracle and we stop short. But you don't stop praying because you never know when the wall is about to fall. Paul, in his letter to the early church in Philippi, he says this, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Every situation, 
constantly, without ceasing. When we lay even the smallest requests at his feet, we are showing our dependence on him. And the more time that you spend with him, the stronger your relationship becomes. And the stronger that relationship becomes, the more that you trust him. And the more that you trust him, the less you are concerned about what you want and the more you are concerned about what he wants. And a peace, and this is, this is so hard to describe unless you've experienced it, but the peace of God, a, a peace that only God can provide will invade your life, whether he says yes, no, or nothing at all. So ask him. You're not wasting his time. He longs, longs to hear from you.